last week, I remembered one particular Christmas that Leah and I and the boys and her parents came to town and we all went out to uh, Graceland. One of the things that Memphis does to commemorate the Christmas season, to kind of kick it off, you know that it's Christmas in Memphis whenever they have lit Elvis's lights, when they turn his Christmas lights on in Graceland, just the way that he had them when he was alive. It's a big deal. Thousands of people come and uh, they try to have a celebrity come. Well, a celebrity always comes. Sometimes they're a little more known than others. But this particular year, I think it was 2014, uh, the celebrity guest that was flipping the switch that day was John Stamos. I don't know if you all remember John Stamos from Full House and now Fuller House. And I was like, Uncle Jesse, you know, and I was so excited. We went and uh, we, we, he came and he talked to everybody and there was a, a, a particular point in time when he was walking and they had the little corrals, you know, the little you know, fence gates like you see at concerts and stuff and, and I was right there and I mean, here's John Stamos and I'm clicking a picture of him, you know, on my iPhone 4 or whatever it was I had at the time and, and I got this, I mean, I, I could I was so close, I could reach out and touch him. I did not do that, okay, uh, because I probably would have been arrested. Uh, but uh, it, was, it was a really neat thing, and one of the things that was neat about that is that John Stamos, if you know anything about him, was a big Elvis fan himself. Uh, the character he played on Full House was an Elvis fan, and, and he himself in real life was an Elvis fan. And so you could see the joy uh, in his eyes when he got to be there and flip the switch. I mean, it was a big deal to him because he was a fan. And so, let me tell you something, Elvis fans, look, there are Elvis fans and then there are Elvis fans, okay? There are those that appreciate the music and the genre and there are those that dress up, okay? Uh, the, and, and I want to tell you, in fact, this week as we speak, uh, we are right in the middle of Elvis week in Memphis where 50, 50, 40 to 50,000 people will descend upon Memphis on top of you know, the seven or 800,000 that are already there, uh, they will descend upon Memphis for the sole purpose of going there to celebrate Elvis. Uh, they're everywhere. You want to know what it looks like to be surrounded by Elvis fans? Drop to Memphis this week, okay? They're from all over the world. They're all ages. And in fact, I, I remember this wasn't Elvis week, but when Leah and I were out at, at Graceland for the, for the lighting of, you know, the Christmas lights, there was this one lady and she had five or six year old little girl she had made up a little Elvis jumpsuit for the little girl and had her hair all done up I mean they dress like Elvis they talk like Elvis they walk like him uh, they, they try to act like him everywhere they go it's all about Elvis you, you know you know the media named Elvis and dubbed Elvis as the king of rock and roll but you know God has has named Jesus the king of all kings. And you know, whenever, uh, whenever you're around an Elvis fan, a lot of times it's pretty evident. But you know, sometimes for whatever reason, when it comes to the king of kings, instead of the king of rock and roll, when it comes to the king of kings, sometimes it's not always evident that somebody has a relationship with that king. It's not always evident that, that, that they are people of the faith. And, and let me tell you something, there's something wrong with that because that's not who we are created to be. In fact, Scripture tells us very clearly that we're created to 
be imitators of Christ. So we'll look at, uh, at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. If you remember last week, uh, we really keyed in on the second part of, of verse 1, where it says that we're dearly loved children. We really sort of zoomed in on that and talked about the great love that God has for you and, and how He dearly loves you. He dearly loves me. So this morning, I want to kind of pull back a little bit and look at verse 1 and 2, both kind of smashed together here in context. And we're going to key in on what it means to imitate God in our lives. So Ephesians 5, starting verse 1 and into verse 2, says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us, Father, just to, uh, to understand the context of this passage for what it is that you want us to hear this morning, not just as a corporate group, but as an individual people. Father, help us to know how to walk in Love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we see here, Paul tells us in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. You are to be an imitator of God. The word where, that is translated imitator, the Greek word, uh, is the same root word where we get the, uh, where we get the, the word mimic. Okay, so it's saying that, that we are to mimic God. Uh, we're to mimic what God does. We are called to walk in His footsteps, the, the footsteps of Christ. That, that, means, that means when we realize that God is holy, we understand that we should strive to be holy. Because God is righteous, we should strive to be righteous because God is just. You and I should strive to be just in the eyes of God. Because God is merciful, we should strive to have mercy and to exercise mercy in our lives. Because God is love, we should strive to be love. And that's exactly what Paul has already said. He's already been saying this to the Ephesians, uh, really in the first four chapters, but if you look at the way that he ends chapter 4, uh, you can look there in your Bible. Ephesians 4.31 says, All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, slander, all of that must be removed from you along with all malice. And in verse 32 he says, and Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And so he follows it up. And just so you know, just so you understand... When you look at the, in, in Scripture and you see the chapters and you see the verse, uh, the verse numbers, those are not, uh, particularly in the New Testament especially, those are, those are not there, okay? So, so Paul is completing this thought. He's talking about these things at the end of chapter 4. Don't be like this. Instead, be like what Jesus did. Therefore, he says, because of these things, everything I've been saying to you in light of these things... Be imitators of God. Be people that seek to mimic the things of God in your life. Paul is saying, look, be who you were created to be. 
He, he says at the end of verse 4, don't be angry and malicious. You're not created for that. That's not who God designed you to be. He didn't design you to be hateful. He didn't design you to be mean. But instead, he designed you to love. He designed you to be compassionate. He designed, he designed you to be forgiving and to be just. We are called to be more like Jesus. Remember the words we just sang a few minutes ago. If more of you means less of me, then take everything. Jesus, all of you is all I need. So take everything. So I want to talk about what it means to mimic or be an imitator of God in our everyday lives. First thing I want you to see is that we should imitate Christ and imitate God because we know Him. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to touch on it because it's relevant for this passage today. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard somebody on TV or, or on the radio or somewhere in the media, whether it's on the internet or YouTube or whatever, and, and they're well-meaning people. They mean well, and they'll say something like this, Well, you know, we're all children of God. And what they really mean is, and I understand, I think, I think sometimes people are trying to be deceptive and manipulative, but I think most of the time, most of the time when people say that, I want to believe that they're coming from a, from a, from a, a place of trying to unify people, to say, hey, you know, despite our differences in the world, uh, we all are created by God, and we are all created in God's image, and that is true. And so when someone says, you know, we're just all children of God, if what they mean is we're all created by the same God, despite our differences, we have a lot of things, we have a lot of similarities in how we're created, that is true. But when it comes to that title of being a child of God, Scripture teaches us that being a child of God is different than being created by God because a child of God is somebody that is entitled to an inheritance, okay? Someone that, that, is, that has an inheritance that is waiting for them, okay? Just like when, when you one day pass away, many of you will leave in your will for somebody in your family, whether it be children or nephews or grandchildren or nieces or family, friends, somebody, you're going to leave whatever valuables, whatever things you have, you're going to leave it to them to inherit. Now, they didn't earn it. They didn't. They, you're the one that went and, and, and earned the money and you earned the stuff and you built up whatever it is and you're going to pass it on to those that are going to inherit that. See, being a part of the family of God is different than just being created by God. Scripture tells us that to be a part of the family of God, you have to come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You have to know Him. You not, just, not just believe in Him, not just simply believe that God existed, or not just simply acknowledge that Jesus at one point walked this earth and died on a cross, but have you really believed upon His name? Have you trusted in Him? Because if you're going to be an imitator of God, you have to know Him. You can't imitate a God who you don't know. Friends, uh, 
that, that's, what, that's what John's talking about in John 1.12. I, I love this passage. It says, but to all who receive Him, talking about Christ, to all who receive Him, He gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. Have you received Jesus? What that means is, do you believe upon His name? Have you trusted in Him? Do you have faith in Him? Because you can't imitate a God that you don't know. Have you ever heard anybody say, that kid is the spitting image of their, their mama or their daddy? You ever heard that? You know what that means. Some, if you go up north, some people may not understand that. But down here, we understand that, don't we? Uh, just the other day, Corey Cox posted something on Facebook. It was a picture from when he was young, about Jay's age. And you look at that picture, Lee and I were talking about this. Jay Cox is a spitting image of Corey. I mean, there ain't no doubt that, that you know who his daddy is, right? Because uh, he looks just like him. You know, Scripture teaches us that you and I should be a spitting image of our Heavenly Father. Now, we can't be God. None of us will ever be God, but we ought to look enough like him that people can tell that we are a child of the king. And so, uh, so you and I are, are, are to be, uh, to, to, to look like and to act like our heavenly father. So when our world, so when the world sees our life, they see God working our life, right? Isn't that what Jesus talked about in, in, in Matthew 5 when, when he was talking about being salt and light? In verse 16 he says, In the same way let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and then what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. Do you know Him? If so, be imitators of Him. Be an imitator of God. Second thing I want you to understand is that you should imitate Him not only because you know Him, but because you have experienced His love. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loves us. We are called to love others. You know, week after week, we come into this place and Christians gather all around the world and they sing songs of, of, of God and they sing songs about God and they sing songs about His, His, His love and His grace and His forgiveness. And The thing that we have to understand is that when we sing about the love of God, that is, that is a whole different kind of love than, than you and I could even fathom. Okay, It is a whole other kind of love. It's different from the love that you see in Hollywood. It's different from the love that you hear about in most of the songs that are on the radio. It's different. You, you want to know why we have so many failed marriages in, in our nation and, and around the world? You want to know why there's so many broken families? You want to know why there are, there are so many children going, growing up in homes without their fathers or without both parents? You want to know why there's so much division in our world? I believe that one of the key causes for that is that we live in a world that does not understand the love of God. In the Bible, the word love is, we translate the word, we just say love, 
But in the Bible, there are different words that are used to describe different types of affection. In this love, where it says to walk in love as Christ loved us, this love is the word agape. You understand that. Agape love. It is a love that comes only from God. It is distinct in that it is from God and from God alone. And we live in a world that is confused. The love of God, when they hear love, they think of Hollywood or whatever it is. Listen, I got news for you. Hollywood is fake. Okay? It's not real. They're, they're, they're actors. Okay? I, I just want to clue you in, in case you don't know this, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga are not in love. Okay? Now, I've not seen the movie. I don't care to see the movie. But I'm going to tell you, they're not in love. They're actors. They're pretending. And that's what kind of love our world has. It's a pretend love. But see, you and I, we serve a very real God who has loved us in a very real way. And when we experience that love for ourselves, then we have inside of us, if you have experienced the love of God, you have inside of you what is needed in order to love others. Because you have God inside of you. Romans 5.5 5 said that the hope of Christ will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit was given to us. See, it really comes from God. It all comes from God. Isaiah 26 says, Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all the work for us. See, God has done all the work. I want you to understand that God's never going to require anything from you that he does not produce in you. So when God tells you to love others, he says, love others because Christ has loved you. He's saying, he's saying you have what is inside of you through the Holy Spirit of God that I have poured into you through Jesus Christ. You have inside of you what you need in order to love people in the name of Christ. And so when he says, walk in love, he tells us, he encourages us to do something, but not something that you and I could do on our own, but only that which He is willing to do through us. He's going to use us uh, for His glory. Walk in love as the Messiah loves us. First Peter 2 says, uh, For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So the example is Jesus, according to 1 Peter 2, so that... You should follow in his footsteps. Jesus suffered. He bled. He died. He loved you so that you could love others in the name of Christ. It's amazing as you see the way that Jesus loved. Many of you know the shortest verse in the English Bible is John eleven thirty five, 35, which... Two words in the English, it's Jesus wept. Then you read uh, verse 36, and you, first of all, you have to understand what's going on. This is the time when Lazarus has died. This is before Jesus has called him out of the grave. Lazarus has died. Jesus has arrived. It says Jesus wept. And verse 36 says, verse 6 says that the Jews were watching him. And as they looked upon what was going on, they noted 
how he loves that man. They noted the love of Jesus for Lazarus. See, the Jews, they were watching Jesus. And I want you to understand, the world is watching you. It's watching me to see how we're going to love others. And we know that Jesus loved Lazarus. It was his friend. But you know, Jesus also loved people that were not always accepting of him. We talked a few weeks ago about the rich young ruler and his interaction with Jesus. You remember the man comes to Jesus and he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, you know all the stuff. You know you know the commandments. You need to follow all the commandments. Honor your parents. Don't lie. Be honest. He starts going through all these things. And the young man's kind of like, well, I've done that my whole life. I'm good. And Jesus will say to him, you still lack one thing. And he says, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, Jesus gives him that, that command in order that, uh, that, that the man would demonstrate. Because Jesus knew that if this guy was going to really trust him, that if this guy would really sell all of his possessions and give it to the poor, if he'd give everything up to follow Jesus, that this was an act of faith. And so he knew that it would take real saving faith in order for this man to do it. So he says, well, hey, if you, if you, tr- if you really trust me, once you, uh, you know, follow me, sell everything, give it all up, and just come follow me. You trust me that much? And Scripture says that the man was very sad because he's very wealthy. And the reality is he didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to give Jesus offers him salvation, but he didn't accept it. It's really interesting what it says in, in Mark 10 when you read that passage. Uh, it says verse 21 is the... The rich young ruler was having this interaction with Jesus. See, all these things I've done since I was young. It says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. A man who he knew did not trust him. A man who he knew would not accept him. But Jesus loved him. See, we live in a world that is twisted. Where there are ungodly people that are everywhere. And they're not just... They're they're not just unaccepting of our faith. They're hostile to our faith. We live in a world where where, uh, uh, things are so so messed up that uh, ungodly lifestyles are not only encouraged, but they're celebrated and and, and, and marriages are, are failing because we don't understand love and we don't understand sacrificial love. We don't understand that love is more than a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a gift that comes from God. We don't understand those things. Listen, our, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as we, time goes on. So our world rationalizes sin and it normalizes sin. But somehow, some way, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have to find a way to love these people without compromising what the Word of God says. Through it all, finding ways to build relationships with people who live lives that are different than ours. If we're going to be imitators of God, there are going to be times when we have to reach out to those who are not walking with God. People that have different values. You know, there are people that I know and love on social media and I look at their social media and my heart sinks because of the things that they're involved in and choices they're making in their lives. And man, my heart sinks because I see a person who is missing out 
on God's plan for them. And they are playing into the enemy, to the plan and the schemes of the enemy of God. Some of the things they do saddens me. It repulses me. You know, and I, I see things. I, I, I think, I just wish I did not see that. I, I, I'll see things. I'll think, oh, I wish I did not read that status update because my heart is sinking for this person. But let me tell you what I don't do. I don't get on their page and tell them to turn or burn. Okay? I don't get on the page and start um, publicly uh, criticizing them. Now, if they ask me a question, I'm happy to respond in kind. I try to do that in private because I'm trying to cultivate a relationship and a connection that when that person is ready or when that person does have a, an actual question and is really seeking truth and answers that, that I can be a resource for that person to help turn them to the light of Jesus. Because God doesn't just love the, uh, the, the saved people. You see, He loves the lost people. That's why He died for them. See, I used to be a lost person. But God loved me. It wasn't until I realized that love and submitted my heart to Him because of that love that I became a saved person. You know, there, there are people that, that, that believe, and even Christians believe, that God loves certain people and He hates others. You know, there's a fortunate few and then there's everybody else. But Scripture says, for God so loved the world. Scripture tells us that God loved the rich young ruler, even though he, he denied him. But you know, God loved Lazarus too, a man that was a friend of God. There was a difference in the two, is that one was submitted to the will of God and one was not. And so, you know what that means? Listen, you know what that means? That means it, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Nobody in this room has the excuse that you can just go and do whatever you want to do because God doesn't love you. Well, you know, God doesn't love me, so I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. No, 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 no. God does love you. He does love you. He has a plan for you. He died for you. And if you, if you have a part from God's love, that's on you. That's not on him because he has given everything. He has given everything. Isaiah 55 1 gives us a great invitation. It says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, you without money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. See how many times he uses the word. Come, see how many excuses just do not matter to God. The invitation is to come no matter who you are or where you've been. You can't imitate the love of God if you've never experienced that love yourself. Look at the world that is around us, how divided it is. We see a world that needs the, word of, that needs the love of God. We need the, the love of God in our culture. If this world is going to see real love, agape love, God love, they're going to see it through Christ working in us and through us. So you can't have real peace in the world without the Prince of Peace, can you? You know, if there was anyone who understood what it meant to live in a world that was evil, it was a woman 
named Corey Ten Boom. Some of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom. She was um, a part of a of a of, of a Christian family uh, in the Netherlands in 1940. Uh, the Germans, before we got involved in the war, the Germans began to sweep through and, and uh, seize different countries in Europe. They seized the Netherlands in uh, 1940, immediately began to Germanize the culture. Part of Germanizing the culture uh, had to do with this process of eugenics. If you don't know what eugenics is, eugenics is a, uh, is, is a method uh, of what they call, I guess, racial cleansing uh, in that you would take uh, people who uh, maybe are different ethnicities or social economic status um, or people that have certain disabilities and you would say, okay, well, these people, um, you know, we don't, we don't want people in the world like this uh, and so, uh, so to make the world a better place, we're just going to do away with all of those people. It's murder is what it is. That's what, that's what Hitler was doing uh, with the Jews during the Holocaust. In fact, just for free, uh, there's a remnant of eugenics that still remains today. It's a very public figure. Uh, they receive millions and millions of dollars of your tax money every year. It's called Planned Parenthood. Uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood um, was, uh, was a woman who was a key figure in the eugenics movement in those days. But Hitler and the Germans were practicing eugenics and part of that was getting rid of people that were disabled and getting rid of the Jewish people because they were trying to do ethnic cleansing and so uh, Corey, Ten, Corey Ten Boom and her family were housing Jews and they were hiding them and, and during that time and helping to preserve their lives because they understood that it was evil what was happening and although they themselves were not Jews they were trying to help these Jews and, and, and eventually someone you know so, someone gave them up and, and, and the family and all the people they were hiding were arrested and they were taken to a concentration camp and Corrie Tim Boom was a little girl and, and at that time when she went to the concentration camp and, and, uh, and her, her, some of her family died including her sister and her grandfather and somehow she survives that concentration camp and uh, she later went on to write, uh, write some books probably the most famous was a book called The Hiding Place frequently she spoke at, at churches and in places and Christian events and, and, and during that time she came across two of at different points two of her former captors when she was in the concentration camp while sharing uh, what God had done through her experience at a church one day this man that she knew as one of her jailers uh, shows up and she says uh, he came up to me uh, as the church was emptying uh, beaming and bowing how grateful I am for your me message he said to think that as you say he talking about Jesus he has washed my sins away his hand was thrust out to shake mine, and, and I, who preached so often of, to the people uh, of the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them, and Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And then she talks about eventually... Uh, 
uh, receiving his hand. And she says, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened to me from my shoulder along my arm and through my hand a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And, I, and so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges but on God's. When he tells me to love our enemy, he gives along with that command the love itself. And so she goes on in another place, this quote comes out. She says, we must mirror God's love in the midst of a world full of hatred. And we are the mirrors of God's love so we may show Jesus by our lives. Imitate God because you know Him and because you've experienced His love. And the last thing is because you understand His sacrifice. You understand His sacrifice. It says that Jesus gave Himself. Because Jesus, he, he, the Messiah loved us and He loves us. And He gave Himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Walk in love as dearly loved children. Listen, you can give to somebody and not love them. But boy, it's hard to love somebody and not give to them. You can give to a church and you can give your time and not really love something. But if you really love it, if you really love the ministry of God, then it's not so hard for you, it's not so hard for you to give your resources or to give your time or to give your effort or to give your life because it's, it's, it's motivated out of that love. See, the sacrificial fragrant offering of God is a picture that we see in the Old Testament and believers in the Old Testament would come to the temple and they would have an animal. And they would come to the priest and they present the animal to the priest and the priest would begin to pray over that animal and pray over you. And what the priest was doing was transferring your sins onto that animal. That those, your sins were being symbolically transferred onto that animal that was the sacrifice. And the next thing the priest would do after he got done transferring those sins is he'd kill that animal. He'd kill it. He'd open it up. The animal would begin to bleed. He'd take the blood of that animal and take it to the altar and he began sprinkling it on the altar. And, and along with the blood and the animal sacrifice, he would put uh, spices and fragrances and scents and frankincense and all those things would, would be on the altar. And as the, as the blood and the sacrifice began to burn, the fire would consume it and, and with it would consume the sacrifice, the, the, the frankincense and the things, the fragrances that were on top of it. And smoke would billow and, and, and the smoke would have an aroma and, and it, was a, it was a sweet smelling aroma. And, the, and the, the thought of that is that that aroma would, that smoke would rise up and into the, the nostrils of God and He would proclaim those sins to be atoned for. But you know that's exactly what Jesus did when He died on the cross. The cross became the altar. And Jesus, when He died on the cross, He bled and, and the blood was spilled on the altar. And the, and the sacrifice of Jesus became that aroma 
offering to God because not only did He die, but He transferred your sins and my sins onto Himself. And so when He bled and He died, He gave everything so that you and I may live. Remember that old song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me? It says, He gave His life. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you. Oh, how He loves me. Oh, how He loves you and me. How do we know He loved us? Because He sacrificed for us. And what that means is that you and I, as believers, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to be willing to sacrifice. Be imitators of God in your sacrifice. Because you understand there's times when you might have to make sacrifices. And when you get along with people, sometimes you sacrifice preferences. And sometimes you sacrifice, you know, little things in life that if, if I wish were different, I'd have it my way. But, man, I'm willing to, I'm willing to step aside and let God have His way. If you're going to be sacrificially loving people in your home, moms and dads, that means that sometimes your dreams and, and your plans have to kind of sit over here so that you can focus on God's plan for you and your role as a mom or a dad and a parent in, in, in the life of, of a child or a young adult or whatever that might be. See, we love. We imitate Christ. We be imitators of God and how we love. And if we're going to love like Him, we're going to have to love sacrificially. You will be imitators of God in your life, then you will begin to fulfill your God-given purpose. Because Scripture tells us that we are created in the image of God. And right here we see that we are created to be imitators of God. Let's pray.